Hello, STEM Nation. Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 14 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide individuals looking at pursuing STEM careers. Now let's get fired up today with our guest, Nathan, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Nathan Brown has a Bachelor of Science in Economics with an emphasis in math from the University of Wisconsin and a Master's in Applied Economics from Montana State in 2011, and currently works as a data scientist at CoreLogic. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. Sure. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Um, You're welcome. Nathan Brown. Um, I'm doing data science now currently at CoreLogic. Uh, it's not always what I've, I've been doing. I originally had the economics background, um, originally environmental economics, actually. When I first got out of school, I was I was working on the BP oil spill, um, doing some modeling and and basically figuring out how many people couldn't go to the beach uh, because of the spill. So, um, you know, the modeling aspect of it is definitely related. Uh, as for personal stuff, I have a one-year-old, which she keeps me busy. Um, and I also do a fantasy football website on the side for fun. So where I have a, I have a model to, to kind of predict weekly performance. And I, I put all that stuff up there every week. And, you know, people can subscribe and sign up and and I do all that stuff too, so all those things kind of keep you busy. All right. What is what is that website? We'll have to put that into the show notes. Yeah, it's it's fantasymath.com. All right, fantasymath.com. We'll put that in the show yeah. show notes for everybody. All right, sounds good. All right. So so Nathan, as a data scientist, um, what are some career opportunities that are available for somebody with a pursuing data scientist? You've got an economics degree and a emphasis in math, and I assume that makes you qualified as a data scientist. Could you do that as just an economics major, or did you need the the, the math degree? Um, I, I would say, I mean, the math certainly helps. I would say what helped even more was kind of just an interest I had in programming um, and, and kind of software development. And I didn't necessarily know I had that interest until I kind of started working and everything else and, you know, realized pretty quickly that programming these models and and coming up with them was what I like to do. So I, um, you know, kind of did some self-study on the side and 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 picked that stuff up and and kind of got into it. I mean, I would characterize data science as kind of the blend between math and stats and computer science and programming and maybe kind of general business, too. It's kind of a, a combination of all three of those. Okay. Yeah, and we've got, like, data in- analytics. Is data analytics different than data scientists? Or are they pretty much the same? I guess the data scientists I know and have kind of run across fall into into basically three general types. And I think there's definitely overlap. But so you have the, you know, the modelers, the, the people doing kind of predictive analytics, and they'll be doing machine learning and stuff like that, where you're basically coming up with a model, trying to predict an outcome, and using it for a, you know, business problem. I'd say that's, so that's the first tier. I'd say the second kind of leg of the stool is is the general data analysts who, you know, I think that's primarily uh, describing data or coming up with visualizations kind of, you know, involves a lot of communication and, and, and getting across the important parts of that data to stakeholders and, and whoever else to help them kind of make their decisions. And then I'd say the third leg would be um, you know, something like a data engineer who is, is building these 
these data ingestion or streaming pipelines, you know, a lot of times they're in production and deal with tremendous amounts of data. They have to be, you know, really robust and reliable. And so the people who are kind of designing and building and, and maintaining those, I would say, would be the third part. And obviously, there's a lot of overlap. So as a data scientist, which leg would you put yourself in? You know, originally, right out of school, I was doing the modeling for the BP spill. And so I would I would be in that area. I, I don't think I necessarily had the kind of programming and you know, general computer background where I would have really considered myself a data scientist. I think that's something I've picked up now. Um, so I would say at, at CoreLogic now, I'm definitely more in the area of of doing predictive analytics. We, you know, it's a data, we're in, we're in home and property data companies. So it's a definitely a, a quantitative field and we're building these models, um, you know, in that area to predict different things and stuff like that. So I definitely am the more modeling now, but, you know, for example, my site, the fantasy math stuff, you know, I had to do everything. So it's basically, um, you know, coming up with, you know, the pipeline and data ingestion and all that stuff too. So. So Nathan, can you go into a little bit of depth of what you actually do at work? I guess the typical day-to-day, and I think if you talk with anyone who works with data, I think, you know, you're going to, they'll tell you that it's the majority of it, you know, even for someone who's building models like I am, I mean, the majority of it is not, you know, clicking the button to run a model or, you know, figuring out which variables to put in, like seeing the results. The majority of time of a data scientist is is putting your data together, um, getting it in the right format. You know, where I'm at CoreLogic now where we do a lot of home and property data. So it's, you know, dealing with addresses. Like some addresses will spell out road, some of just RD periods, stuff like that. You need to, you know, clean all that stuff, get it all together, get your kind of final data set before you can really build this model. So I, I would say I spend the majority of my time um, cleaning data and, and dealing with data like that. But, you know, when I do get to do some modeling at work, it'll be things like, um, so we just, I just started a model at work to, you know, basically for any property in the U.S., I'm building a model to come up with the probability that that property gets listed for sale in the next six months. And then we're building another model for, you know, any any property, the probability gets listed for rent in the next six months. So, yeah, Jeff, we could, you know, run your house through it. And it would take into account, oh, the age of the house, like how long you've lived there, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, come up with some probability. So is that something that um, that your company then sells as information to other companies that may be interested yeah. in that? Yep. We do a, a variety of things with it. One um, is realtors who, you know, are, are obviously interested in people who are, interested in selling their house. Um, we also have a pretty big insurance, um, home insurance branch where, uh, you know, we build products to support them. Another product some colleagues of mine are working on is a roof condition model. So basically a model to predict when, um, when someone's roof will need to be replaced. So the insurance company can kind of, you know, run that through and get a value of it and, and insure it properly. So Nathan, do you work with um, other folks in the in the data world there, and what kind of degrees do they have? I see quite a few different degrees of people working as data scientists. So I think mo- a lot of people do the route I did, where they do economics or um, you know even physics or math or biology or something like that, more kind of quantitative, non-programming fields, and then they kind of pick up the software development and engineering portions of it. Or you also see a lot of times. 
um, people who, you know, started out in software or computer science and kind of picked up the math and picked up the modeling and machine learning and, and kind of got it that way. So I think, you know, there's two, two general paths and, and people tend to specialize in one, but they kind of pick up the other one. Yeah, thanks for that, Nathan. I appreciate it. We're going to move on here a little bit, and we're going to get pretty specific here. So what is one thing that has you really fired up about the data world, being a data scientist, and where do you think it's headed? I hadn't really thought about this until, you know, recently, but I, you know, I, I like making my site for fun on the side, and I like building these models at work and stuff. And I was kind of thinking what, you know, what, when you ask the question, what is it that actually gets me fired up about it? And I think the big kind of underrated aspect of data science is, you know, the act of, of creating something. I think, you know, people tend to view engineers as designing a product or, you know, software engineers as building an app or whatever. But I think as a data scientist, when you can build a model or some, you know, summary or description or visualization, you know, it really kind of gives you the opportunity to get creative and, you know, and, and kind of put, put the science into it and, and make something cool. Yeah, and I, what I've heard out there in the in the real world is that data is the next oil. If you know how to harness and manage and monetize, in other words, make money with data, those are, those are the companies that are going to be very successful in the next, I'll say, next 10 to 15 to 20 years. Yeah, definitely. We're going to change gears here a little bit more, too, and we're going to move into an aha moment you've had, something that might help our STEM nation can you take us to a moment in time of an incredible aha moment you've had at work or your personal life and tell us a story and how you turn that aha moment into success? So I guess mine's not as much of a specific moment in time, but I think, you know, in the process of learning this math and taking these stats classes and learning about probability, um, somewhere along the line, I kind of, you know, realized that that basically your life and a lot of aspects of life are a numbers game. So, you know, so you can make a bunch of low probability, low cost, you know, high reward bets, you know, all individually that have a small chance of actually working. But then when you kind of start to accumulate them and add them up, um, you know, eventually something works. So I think kind of realizing that, um, you know, for example, when I, I was working on my site and I wrote an article that I thought was pretty good and I wanted to get it submitted somewhere, you know, I, so I reached out to a, I reached out to a life hacker to publish it. And, you know, it was kind of lukewarm or whatever, um, you know, but I got the guy on board and he finally agreed to publish it. And so, you know, it was this, it was this win for me and I got a bunch of traffic because of it. And so you kind of see that one thing that, oh, you know, you reached out to this Lifehacker guy, you published your article, that's great. But at the same time, I also reached out to, you know, Forbes, Business Insider, um, all these other sites that, you know, didn't end up going anywhere. So it was really the kind of quantity approach of doing you know, doing a bunch of different things, you know, maybe it pays off, maybe it doesn't. A lot of times it won't pay off, but eventually, you know, if you do enough of them, something will. So do you rec- recommend the, the go for the, go for the goal line there, or do you recommend the slow and steady typically? Um, I mean, I recommend, I recommend doing, you know, a lot of things. I recommend not putting all your things in one basket. I mean, I think if you're applying to jobs, you know, there's sometimes a tendency, especially early on to, you know, to want to like really craft your job application and really make sure you're writing the perfect cover letter and kind of just put all your heart and soul into this one job application and then turn it in and, you know, cross your fingers and, you know, like, that's it. Like, hopefully I get this job. It's this or nothing. I mean, I just think really a lot of, a lot of things that work out are, you know, a matter of 
like individually, you, you apply for a job and you make a cover letter and, you know, it may not go anywhere, but you find some other opportunity that you're excited about too. And you do that and you do another one. And, the, you know, if you do, if you do 10 things that each on their own have, um, a 10% chance of actually working, you know, yeah, any one thing will be small, but you know, total over the 10, that's like over half. It's like 65% chance of actually something working. So I think, I think the key is to kind of break it up and do small things that you're excited about and kind of, you know, plant another seed and get that out there versus, you know, kind of putting all your eggs in one basket. Okay. That's good advice, Nathan. All right. So we're going to transition into our STEM nation, trying to get through college in these rigorous STEM curriculums. You know, you went through economics, and that was an eye-opener to me. I really did not realize that economics was as heavily math-based as it is. So, Nathan, if you could go back in time to when you were 18, what would you tell yourself as you're heading off to college? Some things that you wish you knew back then or even knew back then that would help our STEMers launch into college successfully? I think I would stress overall that, you know, and I think this is true for all of us at any age, that you really know less than you think, Um, even even something, you know, even about your own interests and your strengths and your competencies. Um, when you're 18, it's only a few short years till you have to, you know, figure out something you want to do from nine to five every day and make a living at. Um, and it's really kind of tough sometimes to know what, you know, what that'll be or what, um, you know, what you'd enjoy doing and kind of until you actually do it. So, um, so I guess there's some corollaries from that that I would I would stress to myself at age 18. I would say, um, you know, first of all, do what you can to, you know, learn more about what you like. So whether it's internships or job shadowing or side projects or, you know, reading books of interviews of people who do, you know, with jobs that you might like to have. Um, and I think the other thing is, is try to keep your options open. And I mean, obviously you have to make the decisions through life and any decision you make, you know, closes off some other, other options and opportunities. But I think, you know, in general, like all else equal, you know, doing something that gives you more options down the road, um, is pretty valuable. And I think you could make the case for, you, you know, I was, I was talking with my wife about this and she burned up grades, you know, your, your freshman year of college, you know, even if you may not be tempted to, you know, study as hard or you think you like learn the material, getting a B or something like that, like working a little harder and getting good grades kind of keeps your options open going further. So I think keeping those two things in mind, you know, doing what you can to learn more and and keeping your options open is what I'd stress to an 18 year old. So, so Nathan, then you get out of college and you got to go work that nine to five job. What kind of skills or attributes do you think are needed to transition from college into the career? I think especially you know, early on kind of keeping, keeping an open mind. And I think being willing to take on, you know, whatever your boss needs you to do, I think living, I mean, I, what I found is that at being at work is a great place to learn new skills. And so kind of getting in that area of, you know, where you can accomplish a task at work, but you can also learn something new or, you know, keep kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. You know, it's just a really, a really good opportunity right out of school to like, kind of accelerate, you know, the skills that you need to have a successful career. So I think, you know, I think curiosity, I think willingness to work hard, I think willingness to push yourself um, and learn new things are probably the most important things. Yeah. STEM Nation, be curious, push yourself and move yourself out of the comfort zone. That's the only way you're going to be be in a continual learning mode and uh, a way to be successful.
So we're going to take a quick break here and thank our sponsor, Audible, who's offering a free audiobook. You can head over to stemonfirebook.com. That's stemonfirebook.com to get your free audiobook. And we are ready for the lightning round. Nathan, are you ready? Yep. Then what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? One of the best pieces that, of advice I ever received was uh, to just, you know, have, <clears throat> have a side project. Have something, you know, you're working on for fun. Be making something, even if it's, you know, if you can't figure out anything to make, um, you know, download some some code and work through some tutorials and kind of just have like a, you know, a project outside of work or school that you're able to kind of keep moving on every day. I think, you know, I think for me, that's been my website and I've just learned a tremendous amount doing that. And it's definitely made me a better data scientist. Yes, Damnation, don't come home and just play games and watch TV all night. You know, pick up some, some habits that actually help build your skills. Nathan, a personal habit that contributes to your success. For me, I would say it's been, uh, I would say being proactive. I think, um, you know, in, in the past I've heard you, I've heard you recommend the book, the seven habits of highly effective people. And if, you know, I, I've read that and I definitely think it's a good book. And if you go back and check it out, the very first habit that, um, Kobe talks about is to be proactive. It's, it's to kind of take control of your own life and realize that, yeah, there's a lot of external things that, you know, might happen. You might get lucky. You might not get lucky. Um, but on average, the people that do well are the people that kind of internalize outcomes into their own decision-making and, and work on it that way. So if you have a teacher, you know, that, that isn't good, or you're not, you don't feel like you're learning much, or she picked, you know, a textbook that you can't understand. It's, it's the people that, you know, everyone has to deal with that. So it's the people that, you know, get a different textbook or put in, you know, put an extra hour, sit in on lectures with a different teacher that kind of, you know, take it under their control to, um, I think that habit in general is, is really what kind of, you know, is, is kind of the most important thing. Yeah. Nathan, I, I completely agree with that. If you, if you find yourself constantly blaming others, well, it's because of that is because of this, it's, it's not your fault. It's their fault. I got a bad teacher. And, and you find yourself talking like that, you really need to, to take a look on the inside and go, you know what? There's things that you can do about that. You should take responsibility for everything and, and don't blame others. You know, be proactive and do the things you need to do. All right. And Nathan, what is a favorite internet resource or phone app and why? Um, I really like the website Hacker News. Uh, it's, it's kind of, you know, uh, what's going on in the industry uh, you know, new technologies, new open source projects that are released and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I, I checked that out at least once a day. I also really like the blog Slate Star Codex. Um, the writer there has some pretty good social commentary and thoughts on issues. And yeah, I, I check that out a lot too. Okay. And we'll add those to the show notes. And one book you recommend? Right now I'm actually reading the book Principles by Ray Dalio, which I, I like a lot. It's, you know, it's a really dense and kind of rich book. I could, I could see it being something that you kind of have to go back and read multiple times or maybe even take notes on. Um, one thing I really liked so far, I'm only about halfway through, but he talks about how he, how he trained himself to, you know, anytime he got negative criticism or, or, you know, kind of failed or had didn't have success really in things he trained himself to kind of reflect on that and use it as a learning experience instead of getting defensive so you know i've actually been trying to do that myself and so the other day you know someone emailed me saying you know hey i don't like your site i signed up but i'm regretting it like give me my money back you know and i'm a pretty conflict averse person and, and normally 
you know, or in the past, I could have seen myself being like, okay, here you go. And I don't want to think about this anymore. Like a lot of people of my site, you know, it's, it's your problem. But instead, you know, thinking about Ray Dalio and stuff, I asked him like, Hey, you know, what is it specifically you don't like negative feedback is, you know, it's the quickest way for me to improve. You know, what do you think I should do? What are you looking for? And he actually responded, you know, with some really helpful stuff that I think, you know, it's, it's stuff that's been on my mind too, that I'll, I'll probably add and get in there. So it ended up working out really well. Awesome. That's great. And Nathan, as we wrap up here, can you share some parting piece of guidance for STEM Nation and then we'll say goodbye? I would say be nice. You know, I I read I read something recently where they looked at at people, you know, their life outcomes, like people that were doing poorly and, and good and, you know, kind of all over the place. And and really one thing interesting thing they found about the kind of top performers was that they really had high levels of of trust in other people um, and were really willing to kind of like put themselves out there and and work together and, you know, weren't necessarily worried about people stealing their ideas and stuff like that. So they really kind of, you know, kind of were, you know, willing to help each other out and, and, and trust each other and, and kind of work together there. So I would say, I would say that is something to definitely keep in mind. I mean, sure, maybe once in a while you have, you know, someone who's a jerk and kind of takes advantage of you and takes advantage of your time and stuff like that. But in general, I think the benefits that you get from from doing things like that are just so much outweigh the, you know, any potential risk that it's probably worth it and a good thing to do. All right, there you go. STEM Nation, be nice. And I'll add to that, always try to add value to the people that you're working with. And with that, uh, we'll say goodbye, Nathan. All right, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been great. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today with Nathan, a data scientist. Head on over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And again, if you're getting value from this podcast, please share it with a friend. Tune in next week where we talk with Menser, who has a PhD in civil engineering. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion towards a STEM career.